All right, everybody. Welcome back to AB Human Geo in 20 minutes. I'm your host, Mr. Linder. A little tired this morning. I uh, had to stay up late to watch the end of the men's national championship game last night and see Mr. Styles, uh, Virginia Cavaliers, pull it out. So, uh, if you're listening, uh, Mr. Styles, um, congratulations. But let's go ahead and dive into industry and economic development. Um, as usual, I'm just going to kind of be going off the study guide. Uh, so the first five here, we're looking at economic activities. I remember with primary, it's basic things that we need. Um, so we need food, agriculture, farming. That is a primary economic activity. Uh, mining, fishing, logging. Anytime we're extracting natural resources out from the earth, then it is primary. Secondary is we are taking those uh, natural resources we've extracted we're turning them into something, manufacturing, factory work, Fordism, assembly line. Uh, tertiary, that's services. Um, anything that involves sales, um, anything that's like retailing with uh, you know, clothing at a mall, um, working at a restaurant, uh, things like that. Things that um, are not uh, working in manufacturing but don't necessarily require a higher level of education. Uh, quaternary is where we see services that do require a higher level of education, more what we call white-collar jobs, um, where you're looking at um, jobs that usually require at least a bachelor's degree. Um, so you're looking at things like um, lawyers, uh, accountants, uh, doctors, um, teachers, anything anything like that that requires uh, kind of a higher level of education. Then finally, quinary, um, which are services that usually affect something at a global scale, uh, so, so this could be something like the CEO um, of a company, it could be the president, it could be somebody who works at the UN, NAFTA, EU, anything that is global in scale. Um, just a real quick uh, example we use in class, um, we talked about the Ford Motor Company. Um, so at the very basic level, they have to turn rubber trees into tires, they have to um, get metal and plastic from the ground, so that's primary. Secondary, they have to take all those raw materials in, in their factory, they have to produce a car. Tertiary, they have to have salesmen um, and saleswomen who are going to sell those cars. Quaternary, they are going to have uh, lawyers and they're going to have accountants and they're going to have insurance people um, at their corporate office. And then quinary, they're going to have their CEO, CFO, um, and people like that at the very highest level. Uh, number six, discuss Weber's least cost theory. How does it affect industrialization? First of all, um, one of our FRQs that is going to be for the entire class is going to deal with Weber's least cost theory. Remember, with Weber, uh, his three most important things were transportation, labor, and agglomeration. Um, transportation being the most important because it is the one uh, that gets um, that happens twice. We have to move our products from where we extract them from the earth to the factory, and then we have to move them again from the factory to the market. Um, so Weber was big into transportation. That's where we get the idea of bulk or weight reducing and bulk or weight gaining products. Um, if you are bulk or weight reducing, it means that your inputs, what goes into the factory, weighs less than your finished product. So you want to be located closer to your factory. Examples of that would be uh, metallurgy, like steel, copper, nickel production. Um, also, uh, logging, turning trees into paper. Um, some, something that is bulk gaining or weight gaining, you want to be closer to your market because the finished product weighs more than the final good or than the uh, inputs. Most things that you have to put together, uh, desks, chairs, computers, TVs, refrigerators, microwaves, anything like that, those are all bulk gaining industries. Uh, we talked about bottling, um, where you've got the bottle, you've got the liquid, 
those things weigh less separately than they do combined. And then, of course, we've got the potato chip industry, um, which I said the AT likes to use to trick us. Um, that is where uh, you've got a product that is actually a weight losing industry, but it is a bulk gaining industry. Um, the weight actually goes down from potato to chip, uh, but the space it takes up um, with the air in the bag of the potato chip actually takes up more um, from uh, beginning to end. Um, with Weber, uh, labor is also important. Um, going off of that, you've got uh, certain states, especially in the Sun Belt, where you have different labor laws in terms of um, uh, unions um, and uh, how much you have to pay your workers. Um, you've also got uh, to have access to a good labor market um, that fits your job. Um, you also have, have to have access to a market. So in some cases with Weber, uh, you're having uh, more than one city that you're selling your products to. Um, Weber also did not take into account things like uh, the topography of the land that you were shipping on. Um, he didn't take into account, again, government policies and things like that. Um, he didn't take into account the fact that we can locate a factory anywhere now, that climate is not necessarily as big a factor as it used to be. Um, transportation has improved. Uh, so we have labor outsourced. We don't have to look for a, a local market for labor. Um, so those are all things that Weber um, does not take into account. Uh, number seven, identify agglomeration. Why does this occur? Remember, agglomeration is when you have a bunch of firms that are like one another, uh, that locate in the same area. In D.C., we have a lot of defense contractors. In Silicon Valley, you have a lot of high-tech firms. Um, first of all, it occurs from a producer's standpoint because they can share resources. They can share talent. Um, they can share ideas. They draw from the best universities. Um, people that worked at one company break off and start up other companies and, and pull from that labor force, and it keeps that talent base there. Remember, also with agglomeration, you get ancillary activities. So as more people move to D.C. to work for defense contractors, they need homes. They need people to build those homes. They need wider roads. They need people to build those wider roads. They need schools. They need grocery stores, they need restaurants, they need entertainment. Those are all jobs that are based off of the main job, the main reason that people are moving there in the first place. So those are ancillary activities. Um, it also benefits consumers. Think about going to a mall. When I go to a mall, oh, Mr. Styles is here. Mr. Styles, we're in the middle of recording um, our review podcast, but uh, can you just give me 30 seconds? How are you feeling right now that your Virginia Cavaliers are national champions? Wahoo! There, there you go, folks. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, um, Aaron Styles. I'll be uh, over to do that weird thing that we do in like ten minutes. Sorry, I blew that Thanks. All right. So, uh, so back to it. Um, uh, you guys go to malls because you have more options there. Um, you don't just have one store that you're going to, so it benefits uh, consumers as well. Um, Identify deglomeration. Why does this occur? Deglomeration occurs when there is a saturation in the marketplace. There are too many of one firm, so a firm will break off and they will move somewhere else to be away from the agglomeration. Uh, what are transnational corporations and how they operate? Transnational corporations um, are companies that have um, a global presence. Um, they have a headquarters usually in an MDC. Their production facilities are usually in LDCs. And they do this to take advantage of the new International Division of Labor and to take advantage of cheap labor costs. Uh, transportation is a relatively low cost with shipping and containerization. Um, and so they uh, can locate their production facilities elsewhere. Uh, 
whereas their headquarters, their financial industry, and that sort of thing is usually in MDCs. Sometimes they're, they offshore their financials uh, to take advantage of tax shelters and things like that. Um, but because they are so big and massive in scale, um, they have the ability and the means to do that and to evade paying corporate taxes in the country that they are in. Uh, number 10, discuss the five-stage pattern of Rosto. Um, remember, Rosto's model is about economic development, and it kind of parallels our demographic transition model. Uh, with Rosto, we have five stages. You've got traditional society, which is like bartering, uh, subsistence agriculture, and that sort of thing. Um, then as land gets privatized and you have a large uh, labor force that is kind of unemployed because land has been privatized, and you don't need as many farmers anymore, you want the preconditions for a takeoff, uh, which means that then our next stage, stage three, is takeoff. Um, that's where you have industrialization within a society. Uh, you have urbanization within a society, and you start to see more stratification, more small business owners, and that sort of thing. Stage four, uh, drive to maturity. That is where we start to see diversification within an economy. Uh, we are not just farming. We are not just manufacturing. We're starting to see more services emerge. You're starting to see uh, a middle class emerge. And then stage five, um, the age of mass consumption, which is most MDCs, especially the United States. Uh, we don't produce a lot of things, but we consume a lot of things. Um, we have uh, very high level jobs, high level education, uh, and that sort of thing. And again, that kind of parallels the demographic transition model. What is meant by the term neocolonialism? Um, neo meaning new, new colonialism. So the idea is that a lot of these uh, countries that were colonies, countries in the Caribbean and South America and Africa and Asia, <clears throat> excuse me, they got their political independence, but they did not get their economic independence. They are still reliant on the IMF, the World Bank, and things like that that are largely controlled by the United States and Western European countries. And because they are still dependent on those Western European countries in the United States, the, the countries that colonized them, um, even though they have their political independence, they really are not independent. They are just in a new state of colonialism where they are completely dependent on these MDCs. Uh, what does it mean to be a bulk reducing industry and bulk gaining industry? I think we covered that enough going over uh, Weber. Um, 14, what is the Human in, uh, Development Index and how is it used? The Human Development Index takes a whole bunch of demographic factors, um, things that we talked about in Unit 2, like um, total fertility rate, crude birth rate, crude death rate, and combines it with other things like the Gender Development Index um, and other indicators, uh, economic as well, to show us how developed a country is. Um, so again, countries that are in Western Europe uh, and North America are far more developed than countries um, elsewhere. Um, you have countries in uh, Eastern Europe and the Middle East and South America that are fairly developed, countries in Asia that are less so, and then the least developed region of the world is Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, going off of that, number 15, what is the gender development index and how is it used? Uh, that shows equality amongst genders within a country. And as a general rule, if you have a higher gender development index, you usually have a higher human development index. Um, Again, Western European countries and North American countries lead the way in gender development index. Uh, it takes into account things like um, social status of women, their ability to vote, uh, how much money they make um, compared to men. Remember, in the United States, women make about 80 cents for every uh, dollar that men earn. Um, and there is no country in the world that has a perfect gender development index. Which countries are considered the four original Asian tigers? What led them to be successful? The four original Asian tigers are Singapore. 
Hong Kong, Taiwan, and South Korea. And they based their development off of Japan. Japan was decimated after World War II. And rather than try to be self-sufficient, Japan bought into the idea of the global trade model for development. Um, they uh, created companies like Sony and Honda and um, Mitsubishi and Toyota, and they produced these consumer goods that people wanted, and Japan built one of the most powerful economies of the 20th century. And so the four Asian tigers did the same thing. They built their economy based on the global trade approach, uh, and they created consumer electronics goods like Samsung and Hyundai uh, and Kia. Um, and then they also base it on textile production. A lot of our clothing is manufactured in Taiwan. Um, so they bet on the global trade approach rather than the self-sufficiency approach. Uh, 17, what are special economic zones? And what purpose do they serve? Special economic zones are zones that are created to, um, to promote trade. Uh, and so oftentimes what they do, they are in uh, LDC areas. Um, they are, uh, there are factories that are built there that are owned by com um, companies that are located in MDCs. So these are usually transnational corporations. Um, they take advantage of that no tariff, no tax policy. Um, and so that minimizes their, their production costs. Um, so that is beneficial to the MDCs because it minimizes those costs and it keeps those products relatively cheap. It is beneficial to the LDC because, in theory, they are creating jobs in these special economic zones, um, and oftentimes those jobs are paid or are supposed to be paid with American or Western European currency or uh, the euro. Um, so it gives those uh, workers an opportunity to earn uh, earn money and um, to earn a a decent wage. Um, unfortunately, like we saw in Jamaica with the free zones, uh, those special economic zones. Um, or export processing zones were taken advantage of. Um, the Jamaican laborers were not paid a lot of money, um, and most of the money that uh, the U.S. had promised Jamaica did not stay in that country. Because remember, those special economic zones are not technically a part of Jamaica or a part of China or wherever. They're a part of that MDC that actually owns that um, that corporation, which is why they don't have to pay the, uh, the import tax and the import tariff. 18 was a major drawback of, uh, of using renewable energy. Um, it is uh, largely is inconsistent. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, oh, well, the sun's not always shining, so you can't use uh, solar. That's, that's not how solar works. Solar stores uh, energy in batteries. Um, and we've gotten much more efficient at uh, using solar, and especially solar and wind, and it's gotten a, a, a lot cheaper as well. Um, 19, know the Wallerstein world systems model. Again, that is just the division between north and south, north being more developed, uh, south being less developed. Um, core, again, countries in Western Europe and the United States make up the core uh, and the periphery um, and semi-periphery are located outside of that. Again, our one um, exception to the rule there being Australia and Oceania. What is NAFTA? How does this influence outsourcing? Um, NAFTA is the North American Free Trade Agreement. It blocks uh, or gets rid of all trade barriers between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Um, and so we are part of that trading block together. Um, it influences outsourcing uh, because of the term maculadora that we talked about. Maculadoras are um, sites where there are uh, industrial locations very close to the U.S. border in northern Mexico. Um, and again, that can provide jobs uh, for the people in the cities there in northern Mexico. And it also cuts down on transportation costs for U.S. firms that want to locate there. Um, 
And the U.S. firms want to locate there because they are then taking those products and they are bringing them back to the United States and they are selling them to um, to people in the United States. Uh, so it influences outsourcing because it moves, again, uh, it's another way with the new International Division of Labor that um, U.S. companies, MDC companies, move their um, their production facilities outside of their country. 21, what is meant by footloose industries? What would be an example? Uh, computer chip uh, production is an example of a footloose industry. First of all, every single uh, city in the country needs computer chips uh, to go into many devices that we all have. So their market is everywhere. That is part of being a footloose industry. The other part of being a footloose industry is transportation costs really don't matter because the inputs and the finished products are so light that it just it doesn't affect transportation costs. Um, so that's the other reason that computer chip uh, production would fall into a footloose industry. Uh, what is Fordism? Um, Fordism was popularized by Henry Ford, uh, the creator of Ford Motor Company. And the idea was that we were going to train workers just to do one job over and over again on an assembly line. It is cheap. It is efficient. It is easy to train those workers. So if you lose those workers, it is easy to replace them. And Ford was also smart enough then that he was making products uh, because he paid his workers a fair wage that they could turn around and they could afford to buy his cars that they were producing. So he was paying them a wage that they were turning around and paying right back to him. And it was so efficient and so productive that we have applied this assembly line model to all matter of, um, of everything we do in this country, whether it is our education system, whether it's food production, um, but Fordism uh, was the standard for a long, long time. Uh, how do service and high-tech jobs differ from manufacturing jobs? First of all, um, most manufacturing jobs today we find in LDCs. We don't find much manufacturing in the U.S. And manufacturing jobs that are coming back to the U.S. are taken by robots. Um, and so we need to learn how to train uh we need to train people um, how to uh, program those uh, robots and repair those robots not to work on a factory line. Um, so again, most manufacturing jobs are in LDCs, they, uh, whereas service and high-tech jobs are in MDCs. Generally, with service and high-tech jobs, we need some sort of education, usually two or four year or above. Um, with service and high-tech jobs, those are also not hourly jobs. Those are usually uh, salary-based jobs, especially the high-tech jobs. Um, that means you're not, you know, you could be working 30 hours one week, you could be working 70 hours the next week. Uh, it's usually what we call white collar work. Um, so you're not on like a 40, uh, 40 hour, eight day or eight hour a day, um, job, uh, uh, schedule. Um, usually you have better benefits. Um, again, you usually, uh, need more education. Um, you have more flexibility of time and place where you can work. You don't have to go to a factory. Some people can commute from home. They can, they can work at home. Um, so those are all differences between kind of white collar and blue collar jobs. 24, identify what is meant by break a bulk point when it comes to shipping. Remember, most of the things that are traded globally are traded via boat. Um, because of containerization and because boats can carry so much um, more than any of our other modes of transportation, most things are, um, are traded by boat globally. Um, however, once those things arrive by ship in places like Miami and uh, New York, in uh, Boston and Chicago and New Orleans and Los Angeles and San Francisco and places like that, they need to then be distributed by other modes of transportation. And that is what a break of bulk point is. You have multiple modes of transportation available um, at that at that harbor or at that um, shipping center. So the ship rolls into New York City. Um, and from there, it can be put on a train. 
um, and use the Eastern uh, Rail Network. It can be put on a truck and use the many interstate highways that intersect through New York, or it can be put on a plane and flown out of uh, one of New York's three uh, horrendous airports. And finally, identify backwash effects and give an example. Again, backwash effects means that if there is growth, if there is economic growth in one area, um, then that means that there is going to be an economic decline in another area. So we talked about that with deindustrialization and the Rust Belt. As places like Mexico gained manufacturing, um, that meant that manufacturing was leaving certain places in the United States, specifically the Rust Belt areas from New York and Pennsylvania out through most of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, um, Wisconsin, and Michigan and places like that. Um, not only has manufacturing left that area and moved uh, outside the country to places like Mexico and China, um, within the country it has moved south and uh, south and w- uh, east and also south and west, um, mainly south and east because you have a lot of right-to-work states in the south, so workers aren't unionized. Um, there's generally lower education, so they, uh, they are kind of more fit to that factory uh, lifestyle. Um, there is uh, lower corporate taxes in the South, less environmental regulations in the South. So all those things create a conducive business climate. All right, so that is the study guide. Um, real quickly, I uh, just want to give you guys a couple of hints on what we've got coming up for um, the FRQs for each class. Um, first block, kind of going off of what we just talked about, uh, you might want to understand why things like automobile factories have relocated um, out of the Midwest and to places like the South. Um, second block, uh, you're going to be more concerned with the idea of agglomeration and thinking a little bit about places like uh, Silicon Valley and understanding why firms locate there. Uh, third block, um, you're looking more at the new international division of labor and understanding why MDC jobs are more service-based jobs and LDC jobs are more manufacturing-based jobs. Um, block five, uh, you need to know Rosso's five-stage model of economic growth. And block six, you are looking more at development and understanding the difference between primary, secondary, and tertiary economies and understanding how development affects women. Um, Best of luck to all of you. Um, Have a great spring break, and I will see you all after the break. Thanks for listening.